Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Today's episode of The Bird Calls is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sports drink, spelled like sports drink, but without the vowels. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let the funk out. I'm going to die a Pelicans fan because that bitch got New Orleans in front of me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of The Bird Calls. I am your host, David Grubb, and alongside me, uh, David Fisher, Ali Cosell, and we've added, we've added a very special guest, the, the king of the jam, Jamal Dunn, ladies and gentlemen. So, guys, the Pelicans will be back home. Uh, they finished up a three-game road trip, went two and one. Uh, they could have won all three, probably should have won all three. But here we are, still in tenth, with uh, roughly with eleven games to go in the season. Fish, I'm gonna get your thoughts first. How did you? What did you think of the road trip um, and the way the Pelicans performed? There had been just a lot of criticism the way the home stand ended, but they went on the road again, down Brandon Ingram, and played pretty well. Oh, it was it was a great road trip. I, I was a little disappointed in how it ended, just because that game was there for the taking. Um, But overall, I mean, we can debate the quality of the Spurs, but Charlotte has been good lately. Atlanta has been good lately. Um, Those are both teams right around 500. Uh, The Pelicans went into their buildings um, and came away with one win and one very close loss that came down, you know, to, to the final couple handfuls of possessions. So um, I think, Big picture, what you're seeing from the Pelicans, it's at, it, it looks great. Um, I I was really happy with what we saw from the team defensively. They got back to um, what they were doing defensively. Their rebounding ball, Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, so many steals, um, just havoc on the perimeter. And defense, e- even when your shot's not falling, if you defend – it shows up every night. Defense can show up every single night. And as long as the Pelicans keep on doing that, I think the next, um, you know, 10, 11 games that we got are going to be a lot of fun to watch. Jamal, you know, that's been the thing is, is getting the Pelicans to play defense consistently when they play defense consistently, like fish said, they are one of, they are at, at least a, a league average team. You know, they're going to win, you give them a 50, 50 shot every night when they don't defend, they are an abysmal team. When you see guys like a Jose Alvarado, when you see Herb Jones and his impact defensively, and even you're starting to see C.J. McCollum improve as a team defender with this group, 
um, and the efforts of the guys on the bench, particularly in that Atlanta game, you know, without her when after he got ejected and things like that. What? Why do you think it is that the Pelicans cannot find this switch to play defense for more than a few games at a time? Why can't we see this for six, seven, eight games in a, in a row? Well, I, I think the biggest issue is having guys come in and out of in and out of the lineup. Like we've seen with this with this group, that when you have to when something gets you know uh, mixed up a little bit in terms of or shaken up in terms of the lineup. You see an immediate drop, uh, dip in, in play, typically, you know, defensive play. Uh, and then as they settle in with whatever the new group is, um, then you'll see uh, better performances. But, you know, we saw it after the CJ, CJ trade where there was a dip uh, defensively. And, of course, they, you know, lost a few games there until they kind of got settled in into, into what they were doing. And I think with Brandon Ingram going out, you know, if we look at the games, bef- you know, right before he went out, you know, the several games in that stretch uh, before that injury, you know, they were playing, they were playing, you know, really good defense, you know, at least, you know, for this group. So I think with Ingram going out, things getting shaken up, guys having to move into different roles. And then also, you know, losing Ingram's Ingram's minutes, like you, you end up getting guys like Graham on the, on the floor a little bit more. And some other reserves who who uh, you know aren't going to give you as good a defensive effort as Brandon Ingram, just from a talent standpoint. So, I mean, I really think with this group, and maybe it's just with teams in general. Some teams are are better at handling a transition, uh, but but you know, whenever there's a shakeup, whether it be for injury, trade, whatever the reason, you're going to see a dip defensively uh, because this roster is not yet set up. For on the defensive side for any type of next man up uh, defense where you just slide a guy in who's interchangeable with the last guy uh, from a defensive standpoint. I think they may get there depending on the development of uh, Trey Murphy and, and and some other guys on the bench and whoever they bring in this offseason. But um, in my opinion, it's just that they, they can't handle the the uh, the flux of the lineup. Ali, when we watch them defensively, one of the things we see is, yeah, I think the – Javon makes a great point as far as the lineup. And that's something that fans kind of been asking for too, is just at this stage of the season where we are, even with Brandon Ingram missing these minutes, you, you would like to see um, a little bit more consistency with the rotation uh, at certain points. And I think that that's the one thing with Willie Green that can be frustrating at time times is who he selects to use at different times in the game and what he gives up when he takes certain players out and that impacts the defense more than anything else. Is there, is there something that you've been seeing in the rotation that either uh, is a problem or is it just simply the guys who are missing? Yeah. I lean towards what Jamal said and what you just finished with. It's the guys missing for me. Um, A good example is I think his rotations have been fine because in the Atlanta game, Jose Alvarado was having a great game and he put him in to finish what the last five minutes or so. And of course, Jose proved to be decisive in coming up with four points right down the stretch. And then he tried the same pattern yesterday. Devontae Graham was having an awful fourth quarter uh, when he got jumped back into the game in that final frame. And then he, Willie Green, that is, went back to Jose. And that this time he wasn't able, right, to convert. Really nobody offensively was. So I don't really think 
it's his rotations at all anymore that might be a problem because, look, Garrett Temple's not playing. Trey Murphy's getting his min- minutes. He's going 10 deep with guys that, you know, when they win, they produce. When they lose, obviously they don't. But I feel like he's honestly made the best of what he he's got available. And it shows up to me in the big wins, right? I feel like that's the good measuring stick of a team and its potential is by the variances and how high they get. And the Pelicans have enjoyed their six biggest margins of victory since the C.J. McCollum trade. And as we know, you know, guys have been in and out of the lineup since then. So it says a lot because two of those wins came without Brandon Ingram. So I feel like that's all trending in the right direction, especially if you want to compare it to what the first three months. So it doesn't exactly, though, David, I guess, explain the defensive woes like they'll have from one game to another. Right. Because, I mean, look, Jamal touched on it. As soon as CJ landed here in New Orleans, scoring points wasn't a problem, but they lost four or five because they couldn't stop anybody. Then he won four games in a row. Then, of course, back again, the defense gave up like 130 points in three of four games. Now they were playing uh, pretty darn well again. So to me, I think that consistency boils down to just the team, right? Being young, um, not having enough time spent on the court together. And of course, guys coming in and out of the lineup. Well, to me, that's a, that becomes a very interesting question because there's always a segment of fans that preaches the patience of, we have to let all these guys develop. And I'm one of these people that says you have to choose which ones you are going to develop. And this youth of this roster is a benefit and it's a drawback at, at, at the same time. Like you said, the, the lack of experience, the, the, some of it is the, uh, is also a lack of skill that, that, that you have to develop as you become a more aware pro. Um, and some of those things just aren't there for the Pelicans. We know we, this has become the, the Pelicans uh, tagline is the there's no room for error with this team. And that's still the case, but ultimately with the roster construction as it is. And I'm, and again, I'm not, I'm, we'll get into Zion Williamson later, but this group that's on the court now, that will likely be the group, obviously the, the group that finishes the season and goes into the play-in most likely out of this group, there's still some culling of this herd that has to be done because ultimately in the NBA, you're not going 10 deep into your rotation on a consistent basis. And those, and if you're going 10 deep, it's because you're looking rather than you have. And I think that's where the Pelicans still are, is that on certain nights, some of these guys, some of them, and it, and it's not about talent, because I, I think Jackson Hayes, who, who's Jamal's guy, and I'm going to let you have your time on him, and I'm not going to insult him in this. I'm just saying there's still times with Jackson where it's like everything clicks, boom, and it looks great. And then there's still those moments on the floor where it's a three- or four-minute stretch. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's less, but there are just those moments where it's, it's there's a disconnect. And if you have two of those guys on the court at any time, two guys who are disconnected, the whole thing breaks down. Jamal? I mean, do you want me to comment on Jackson Hayes? I mean, I can... I mean, just, just that, that, that thing of just the, the team, the, in general, when you look at this roster and you say, yeah, you've still got a couple of pieces that when you put on the floor, at any point, one or two of them, whether it's Devontae Graham, uh, who we can certainly get into, whether it's Tony Snell, who at times, you know, we said maybe, you know, where's his been his consistency at times, whether it's been Jackson Hayes defensively at times, whether it's been, you know, everybody has had these struggles, but the problem is the Pelicans, there are times when they have to put two of those guys on the floor and that just makes the defense kind of go. Yeah. I, I, I honestly think that's part of just being 
a young team. I, I know it sounds like an excuse and it is, but, you know, there's a reason why, you know, young teams in the NBA don't win, right? That's, that's always been a, 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 you know, something you hear, you know, coaches or, or even analysts say, hey, young teams don't win, even if they're super talented, which is what made that, you know, OKC finals run with Durant and those guys so special. But, you know, the reason young teams don't win is because young teams are not consistent defensively, right? They don't have that, that uh, professional locked in defensively uh, mindset that you'll see some of the teams at the top of the standings typically have. So to me, th that's what it is. So you, you look at someone like Jackson Hayes um, and there are moments where he is just not locked in, right? And then there's moments where he is locked in, right? And for, for whatever reason, a lot of those moments tend to uh, come at times when his offensive game is going. He's, you know, got some type of lob or fantastic play. And all of a sudden, he's everywhere defensively, everywhere, mm -hmm. right? But then there's times where he doesn't get the ball for, you know, a few minutes just because that's how the offense, you know, broke, uh, broke that night. He's just not getting the ball. And he kind of goes into a little bit of a lapse. Uh, and you see that with a lot of guys on the roster, especially some of the younger guys, which is a big part of the roster. So, and, and they have a team that's built in a way that if, and I guess maybe this is almost with any team, but especially when you have certain efficiencies. So for instance, Jonas can look very good defensively if the players around him sort of set him up and put mm -hmm. him in good positions to not have the certain limitations that he has, uh, you know, get exploited. So when you see a drop around him, then, then his effectiveness defensively goes down because he's typically being put in positions that he doesn't really need to be in. And then you've got the other issue of, you know, and we'll get to this when we talk about, you know, draft eventually, you know, I, I'm still someone who wants to draft a guard because I think this team still lacks guards. And, you know, once you get past, you know, the starting guys, you know, you're into the Devonte Grahams of the world, which, you know, is already a, you know, a problem defensively. So it's a combination, in my opinion, of some guys who aren't great defensive fits, like a, like a Devontae Graham, where you play him in lineups because he doesn't really fit with any lineup. Every lineup he's in is kind of weird defensively, and you have to find a place to kind of hide him, uh, which is going to affect certain things. And then, again, the youth, where guys just aren't locked in every single night defensively, uh, and they haven't reached that point where as a group they can be consistent night in, night out, and bring that with them every night. So I think it's kind of a combination of things. Uh, but I do think the overall trend, because we used to not even ever see it. Right. At least now some nights we see it. We see that they are capable of actually playing good NBA defense for a stretch. We used to never even see it, go whole season, and mm -hmm. you never saw one decent defensive performance. So I do think Willie's made some progress in that yeah, something I just want to jump in real quick before the Hornets before the Hornets game um, since February 1st, the Pelicans offense ranked eighth and the defense also eighth. So more times than not, they've been fine on that side of the ball. Yeah, it's it, what it had been, uh, you know, is, uh, all the lapses. It's it, consistency from game to game has been there pretty much since, you know, since January, I guess, February, whatever, um, start of February. 
after they got out of the horrible month of January. Mm-hmm. But the def- defense has been consistent. It's just been those moments. You know what I mean? Like, and 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 a lot of it is like it, the, when it's the wrong combination of guys, it can slip away really quickly. And the and I think guy, they win yesterday's game if Herb Jones is in. Oh, the game. absolutely! Yeah. Think I, of all I, the I, breakdowns that Jonas had with my, Mason Plumley flying in yeah. for two easy unabated dunks. Yeah. If Herb's there, he's rotating over. Najee didn't. No, no. Uh, uh, Herb certainly makes a difference on any game, in any game. Yeah. And, and to, for him to lose him that quick, for them to lose him when they did, was a, was a really difficult part. And again, you lose that game by three points on a floater, essentially, in the last minute. So, you know, but Ali, I, this, the, the question that people, one of the biggest ones that we got this week is about Devontae Graham. And Devontae Graham is not making the offense better. He's not making the defense better. And people are, you know, these minutes that he's getting, it's almost to the point, well, not almost, but it's to the point now where you are actively, you know, worried the moment you see him check in. I'm going to run over Ali on this one. Go ahead. Um, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that, with Devontae, like we talked about it in the beginning, like now you have three small guards, right? You've got Devontae, you've got Jose, and you've got CJ. Well, CJ, obviously, like he, he can be an offense unto himself. And Jose brings it on both ends. I think he's a lot better offensively um, than almost anyone is giving him credit for outside of, you know, the 504 and 985 area codes. But um, and then, of course, he's he's tenacious defensively and Devante is supposed to be this floor spacer and he's shooting like crap. He still gets hunted on defense. And then when you put him out there, usually it's always either with Jose or it's with CJ and either of those combinations like it, it, be, it becomes untenable because if he's playing essentially shooting guard beside Jose, um, but he can't shoot right now and he doesn't get defended like he can shoot and on the other end he's getting hunted defensively and then when you put him out there with cj now you you can't hide two guys defensively you can hide one guy defensively pretty easily in a regular season game in the nba like you you can hide cj someplace there's there's somebody on the other team who is ass offensively and you can tell cj hey go hang out with him everybody else will take care of the defense um and, and, you know, just do your job and be in the right spot. And CJ can do that. The thing is that Devontae is actively terrible on both ends right now. Yes. It's just not tenable. Um, and, I, I mean, I was watching the guy that I want to replace him tonight. I'm Kevin Herter for the Hawks. That's the trade that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to talk about all summer. Um, and Atlanta uses him as their primary point of attack defender. And he holds up well. Um, and that's – and – I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine the Pelicans don't try to move Devonte this summer, um, because I, there's there's not a place for him, and, and we're not even talking about like what Kyra might bring when he comes back, um, or what his place is in the rotation, because you already have CJ and Jose is going to be you know on a multi year contract by the end of this year, going going forward and. Jose has done nothing but show with his play every single night that he deserves a consistent slot in the rotation, regardless of, you know, the fact that he was undrafted. Holly, your thoughts. 
Yeah, Fish pretty much hit on him. I will say that Devontae started playing a little bit better once he got moved to a reserval. Because um, he, he made – there was a stretch where he made at least three threes in like seven straight games for the Pels. And honestly, that's really his, you know, primary number one responsibility out there on the court is to space it. And so he was doing a decent job. But I, I think a combination of both what Fish said, it's just when there's too much responsibility on his shoulders and – I'm going to add that he's been hurt and he's been laboring and he's had a couple of injuries over the last month dealing both with um, a bad foot and now the latest is a hip. I think it shows up on, on his shots and it affects his decision making because last night, you know, if there's some way that he could have just gotten the Pels two points on a, on a fast break where he was a leading two on one and he had a step on the Charlotte defender he didn't attempt a shot, didn't try and hit the trailer. Pelicans wound up with zero points in that possession. I feel like that's showed to me that that injury is kind of affecting him because in the past, he's still trying to attempt, right? Even though maybe it's not good efforts at the rim or inside the paint because let's face it, he can't make a floater to save his life right now. And at the rim, it's going to get contested and most likely an easy block and he can't get to the free throw line. But earlier in the year when he was also hitting the three ball kind of at decent clip, he was able to do that on some nights. I haven't seen that at all of late. So it's between the fact that he, one, like I said, he, he's kind of injured. But two, from what Fish say, just doesn't really fit and with especially what they're trying to do right now. It's, it's just killing him and the Pelicans. So going back to your original point, David, what you said about rotations and how they got to get small in postseason – Legitimately, Devontae Graham probably shouldn't get minutes, but you just feel like that there's no doubt Willie Green's going to play him just because of, you know, he started off, he came to New Orleans expecting to be a starter, was a starter for a long time. Then he went and had a discussion with him. You're going to be my main guy, my bench scorer off the bench. To suddenly not playing, I just don't see it. But right now he is actively hurting a team. There's no doubt. Yeah, that that seems to be the biggest hole in the rotation is as soon as Devontae enters. Everybody else is having their moments you know nobody else who's only getting the court right now are we saying they are bottoming out this team when they step on the floor but for Devonte, it feels again like like fish said and ali reiterated he is just taking things away every time he steps on the floor and it's to the point where it's worse than what eric bledsoe was doing because at least bledsoe would give you some points or he would do something right now it just feels like Devonte when he there's nothing and that, to me, is just a huge problem to have out of a guy that you've counted on in that role, to give him $10 million and to count on him in that role. Um, I'm going to give Jamal the next question um, that we have. Do you think – we talked about this, I guess. Do you think that there will be more opportunities for Trey in particular to get into the rotation? Yeah. I mean, I think you can see in the last you know several games, you know, sometimes – garbage time but you know we saw earlier in the season where even in garbage time Trey wasn't necessarily getting many minutes right so I think there is a you can see at least from the increased minutes that he has gotten which you know isn't saying much because he wasn't playing at all um, that there is an increased level of trust from the coaching staff with him and he has his moments Uh, so I do think you could see more minutes from him down the stretch, uh, especially in certain lineups, because like uh, what Fish and Ali were talking about, they have these lineups where they're just way too small. And I think it's fine for for a, a lot of these games, but 
as you get into more important games and say you even get into the playoffs or play in and it stops mattering so much about, you know, getting Devontae his minutes or whatever. And, and you have to start matching up and, and, and kind of taking, you know, some of these games even more seriously. I think at the, you're going to, there's going to come a time where you're going to need more length, especially, you know, if Ingram is still, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure when he's coming back, but, if he's still out or is, you know, playing limited minutes when he gets back, um, you know, there's going to be a need for some more length in the lineup. Now, are they going to trust Trey with that? We'll see. But the way Devontae's shooting and, you know, the and the issues that his size causes, I mean, you would think on paper that Trey, you know, combined with certain other line, guys in the lineup, could help alleviate that, right? He's definitely a better shooter than Devontae already. And at least his size should mean that he's at least not hunted as much on defense. So, you know, he should be better defensively. So I think that would make sense. But sometimes this team doesn't do what makes sense in terms of their rotation. And I don't think that's always on on Willie Green. I think sometimes there's other factors. So you know, I don't know if that's going to change down the stretch much because there's been other times when I've thought, oh, they're going to make this change or that change to line up. And they eventually always get there, but usually way too late and after too many losses. Do we think, I mean, honestly, you know, before the season, David Griffin said he has input on rotations. He flat out said, you know, that's what he was looking for, a coach that would understand he's, he's not going to be passive. How much do we think he's actually been involved this year um, as far as that goes? Has he pushed for guys? Did Willie have to push back enough eventually to say, I got to sit Garrett? Is it getting to that point with Devontae? Because Devontae's not even having these little, you know, he's not even having heat check moments where you come in, boom, boom, I hit three, four shots, and then, okay, well, he sit him down. He's going, he's one for sixes, these two for eights. This is pretty consistent for him over the last month. Yeah, and it, to answer your first question, yeah, I, I do think that Griff exercises a lot of control on the lineup. Now, to your point about Temple, I think I think what has to happen a lot of times for you know Willie to maybe get his way, and this part is speculation on 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 my part, so I don't know anything, which is a general rule, but <laughs> but. <laughs> There, there has to be a, a period of building evidence. Like, so with Temple, it was just so obvious for so long and everybody saw it and eventually, you know, it had to change. With Devontae, that was Grip's big, you know, big ticket free agent signing, you know, and he's supposed to be the guy who can sign free agents, right? That was supposed to be part of his shtick uh, when he came in, even though, you know, I don't know if that's ever really been true. But that's the perception. And so that was his big ticket item. And so I, I don't think, I don't think he's going down that easy. Um, and this is straight up. And I don't think like, I don't think he's getting traded in the off season either, even though it makes perfect sense. You know, if you could find somebody to even take him, but I don't think Griff is going to give up on him that fast. I think they'll make every excuse for him. And maybe some of those excuses are valid. I don't necessarily know every single thing that's affecting Graham and maybe it is an injury thing or what have you, maybe he can bounce back. But the problem is even if he bounces back, even if he bounces back and shoots 39% from three and is a, you know, consistent floor stretcher for them, 
there's value in that, but he still doesn't fit, right? And he still probably doesn't even have as much value. Shit. Yes. Yeah, before okay. Fish, I let you talk. I just yeah, want to mention yeah, Devontae Graham since February 1st, where I mentioned the Pels are playing great on both sides of the ball. Devontae Graham offensively, 33.1% field goal percentage, 31.3% from three-point range. And he's not giving you really anything else anywhere. So, Nothing. yeah, I mean, he's averaging 26 minutes over that time frame. As to where Jose Alvarado, 18 minutes. Those numbers should be flipped um, by Willie Green if they want to legitimately play their best players in the playing tournament and hopefully the playoffs if that happens. And we've discussed this plenty on this pod and on, in other places as well that, look, there's no, there's no reason that Alvarado isn't even starting at this point. Alvarado should be starting at point guard every night and uh, with this lineup just because, again, that, that level of intensity that has to carry over every night, the Pelicans cannot afford lulls. And like you said, you pointed this out on Twitter yesterday, Alec, that when the Pelicans get a first quarter lead, it's almost a lock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and part of that is the tone they set defensively. It is never about the way that they come out shooting the basketball. It's about the tone they set defensively. It may lead to them having a 30-plus point quarter offensively, but it's about them making it difficult for other teams from the gate. And that isn't possible with certain guys in the lineup. It just isn't. And that's the one thing I think that that holds the Pelicans back as, you know, as – they have gotten better. It's just that one piece. Um, Ali, I'm going to give you this one. Uh, about, do you think that we'll see a reemergence of Tony Snell when Ingram comes back? Uh, I feel uh, the, This is from Clint White. He says that it's clear that he needs to have no offensive responsibility beyond threes. But, you know, defensively, do you think that he, he needs to be back on the floor? No, I, I don't. I mean, You're out on Tony? Not out. It just said you can't. You've got ten games left, and you've got basically ten guys, not counting Brandon Ingram, that you've been playing last couple of nights. And I don't want to see Trey Murphy lose his minutes. And the second guy after him, I wouldn't want to see lose minutes is Najee Marshall, because as we saw, I know he had a couple missed uh, rotations late in that game uh, last night, but for the most part, he was great defensively, and he really it showed once Herb Jones was thrown out of the game. And I've noticed that. During this streak, other instances in games where even though Najee's shot may not be going down, guess what? He, he's, he's that tough guy that's getting in the chest, causing some turnovers, causing some of that chaos out there. And you need that. And that's going to provide a lot more than what Tony does. Because Tony, he just kind of he, – he gives opponents, I've noticed on his assignments, he doesn't get up into them. He gives them some space. And, and rightfully so. He's a little bit longer. He's definitely slower. He doesn't have quick hips. Right. So he's got to kind of play with what he's got. And, of course, his big calling card was knocking down the open threes. Well, in his last, what, three or four games when he was still in a rotation, he couldn't make one. And it kind of reminds me of Gary Clark. Remember when he was playing? And the reason was because he was hitting some shots. Well, once he started missing, we haven't pretty much seen him outside of garbage minutes. So I think Tony's destined for the same fate um, because, look, he's not playing well, and the guys around him are, and they should be getting minutes over him in my mind. Fish, I'm gonna let you have this one. Don't go too all because I know you could, and I could too. But um, we had another question. It says I, uh, you know, I haven't gotten to watch Larry Nance. What does he bring to the table? We seem to get this one all the time for these people. I don't know why there's so many fans who don't haven't watched Larry Nance. But please give them the Larry Nance uh, quick breakdown. Uh, 
the biggest thing he's going to bring um, is defense as a big man and defensive versatility. The Pelicans are pretty much tied into they're going to play like a strong drop coverage um, with Jonas or with Willie out there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we've seen rotationally is um, Willie Green has gone away completely um, from Jackson at the five, even, you know, in some reserve minutes. Um, Jackson's always out there with another center at this point. You're going to get, I mean, if you just take all of Willie Hernan Gomez's minutes and you give them to Larry Nance, it's going to be a big upgrade. He's going to give them so much more defensively. Um, he can actually stretch the floor if need be. And he's, he's, a, he's a great passer. The defense, especially in that second unit, when you're going to have Jose Alvarado and Larry Nance coming off the bench, because Larry Nance has very active hands. Yes. There's going to be more deflections. They're going to be, he's, he's, he's probably coming in right away as the best rim protector on the team at this point. Um, he's, and so he's, he's giving you all that in a package that is, I don't know, a hefty Najee Marshall, because he's got probably a good 20 pounds on Najee Marshall, but they're about, they're listed about the same height. Larry's longer though. I would say Larry's longer, even if they're the same height, Larry's longer. Larry plays taller Mm -hmm. is the easiest way to put it. He plays taller. Um, and it's, I think it's going to be a really, it's going to be a really seamless fit. I expect that, you know, getting into his ramp up in terms of how much he's going to play, he, he will eventually be, you know, the sixth or seventh man on this team by the time we get, you know, into April, assuming that he's going to be playing here soon because he's, he's kind of hinted at it on his, on his Twitter feed and, Ali's said, you know, he, he's been going hard in all of his warmups and things like that. So that's the hope is that we're going to see Larry Nance soon. Um, he's essentially going to be the third big on the roster. And he, he's, he's just going to fill all the holes that you look at this team right now as a big man. Um, he, he fits all of those like a glove. The thing that's that also is so appealing to me is like if you put Alvarado, Nance, and Herb all on the court at the same time. Passing lanes are just hell. Mm-hmm. Passing lanes are hell for opponents because all of these are hot, are steel guys and not not jumping the lane steel guys. They are harass the ball handler. I can read your your dribble. I can take the ball from you, and then all three of them are capable of making plays in transition with the ball in their hands, passing it off or finishing. Um, or creating for somebody else so it's it's those three guys just again that that's that's a a group of hellions defensively to have and that's something that they have not had in the front court as far as a big you know her being like more of a a, a wing guy but having a big who could do that and put pressure on people defensively they haven't had that legitimately I guess you would say since Anthony Davis was playing but you know you (laughs) but I mean you can you you can plug Mentally, I've already plugged Larry Nance into into the closing lineup. Like CJ, Bi, Herb, Nance, and Jonas. Um, or if defensively, if you can't have Jonas on the floor, depending on the team you're with, you can yeah, you can slide Jackson. At the five. Yeah, you can put Nance at the five, and you can put Jackson out there. And now you can you can you can do stuff like you can say we're going to switch one through five. 
Um, and that's not something that the Pelicans do right now. Um, they can, they can switch one through five. They can decide we're going to blitz the hell out of pick and rolls. Um, if they're playing Larry Nance and Jackson out there, or if they're playing Larry Nance at the five and, you know, they're calling Herb Jones, the power forward, and they have Najee Marshall out there. Like there's, there's a lot of lineup flexibility that Larry Nance is going to give Willie Green that he doesn't have right now. Before we get into Zion Williamson, because we'll close with Zion, we have to talk about this upcoming homestand, these three games. They are critical. These are critical home games. And the Pelicans have not been good at home, particularly as of late. The last two homestands, they've won a combined, what, two games in those nine? Two out of, they're two and seven in those nine games, the last nine home games. So you get these three. You got Chicago, San Antonio, and um, the Lakers. Uh, all teams that, you know, these are playoff teams that you're that are in the hunt. The San Antonio is right behind you. Uh, the Pelicans have to go three and oh here, don't they? Ollie? Um, I will take two and one because I think Chicago is going to be really tough to beat. Um, I know they don't have all their guys back, but they've got enough of them. And Patrick Williams just got back too. So, you know, they've got David, they've got proven guys. Everybody knows that, right? DeMar DeRozan's a lot to handle. So Zach Levine and Vucevic down low. So they're not an easy team to beat. You got to be playing really well to knock them off. And with Pelicans, right, you don't know exactly. Are you going to get that great team or you're going to get a team that's going to fight? But, you know, they just don't have it, right, to uh, edge out a victory. I think the key is the weekend. You've got – if you get the wins over the Spurs and the Lakers, you are so set up, I feel like, for not just a playing tournament, but getting that ninth spot, Right. So I think that's what I'm more particularly focused on. I want to see the Pelicans beat the game or win the games that are really going to help them. Um, and it's against, you know, competition that I think right now they should beat. Win the next game, man. That's how I want the Pelicans to approach. Well, it. that's what they're I doing. I want them to try yeah, to win them all. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Chicago has not been playing particularly well since mm-hmm. the All-Star break. Um, Vucevic has been terrible. Um Milwaukee beat the brakes off of them tonight. Um, so I, I I don't think the Pelicans should come into this game and look at the Chicago Bulls overall record and say, oh, no, um, no. The Pelicans should come in this game and say, we're on our home floor. We expect to win, especially if Brandon Ingram's back. Um, and, you know, we haven't got an update on that. We'll probably get an update on him um, either tomorrow afternoon at practice or later with the injury report. So I think the Pelicans should try to win, should come in expecting to win all three games. But you are right that those last two are the most important. Yeah, I think those last two are the most important. But at some point, you know, the Pelicans have to really start. You know, again, it's about stringing a, an entire week together. You know what I mean? Of Not having that, that down point in the week and saying, well, it was still a good week. The 10-game stretches. Again, we've only had one of those 10-game periods, and we're in the last one now, kind of, I guess, because it's 82 games, so we're a little bit off. But this is the last 10-game period. They have not had one better than six and four this season. So in that 10-game stretch, you want to close. Like everybody says, these last 10 games are very important. And at some point, you've got to build a stretch where you say, we've gotten consistency, whether it's with Brandon or not. You know, at some point, yeah, it, it you can't go around not having 25 points at your disposal, and it, it, it certainly hurts. 
But this is what teams do when they start to break through is win some of those games they're not supposed to. And I think that's where we want to see with the Pelicans. It's it's not just getting up for the big guys. It's winning these games at home against a team that has a better record than you and taking care of that because ultimately, if they can't win at the Smoothie King Center, that's always going to be the thing that holds them back. And we're still, what? We haven't had a, five again, 500 record at home since the playoff season. These are all these things. Another, and as getting to that point, making the Smoothie King Center a place that people don't want to come um, and, and not talk about fans is something that they've got to get to. Jamal, don't you think, you know what I'm saying? Jamal, you know what well, I'm saying. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If, if, if they go on a run right here, there's a chance they could be over 500 at home. Not they, but they've got to do it. Like, that's the whole thing is we've been, you've had these homestands and they've gotten long homestands in the last couple months. And each one of them has been a disaster. Like, none of them have gone right for whatever reason. I'm not going to say, you know, but ultimately the record is what you're judged by. And you go through one of them, you go one and four. You come back to the other one, you go one and three. It's it's just you can't have these homestands like that. So to go in this one, at the very least, yeah, at the very least, two and one. But you want that it play like like you said, fish. They got to play it like they, they every game, literally, is the seventh game of the playoffs. That's the way they have to compete. I don't want them to do stupid shit, but you got to compete like every game is game seven of the playoffs. The rest of the way. One thing I wanted to mention, David, is you. I'm glad you touched on that playoff season because everybody remembers they went on that ten game winning streak, right? That set the tone for the second half to where they use that to uh, get into the playoffs and, of course, make some noise. But for me, it was those last five games of the regular season. I don't know if people remember, but they entered the playoffs where they beat the breaks off the uh, Portland Trailblazers by winning five games. So you're right. They've got an easy schedule. It does make so much sense that they should try and absolutely build that momentum because momentum is a real thing, I feel. And that's one of the reasons why I picked them to beat the Trailblazers, you know, what was it, four years ago now. Psychologically, yeah, yeah, I think it is. I don't think in-game as much. I think people overvalue it in-game. But I think psychologically that momentum of when you believe every day that you're competing to win games, not competing to get better, not competing to compete, but you're competing to win games, and that becomes your daily mindset. And that's the thing that you're trying to get the Pelicans to walk out on the court. And I think, you know, you see in CJ that he's trying to get them to understand what being a pro means every day, that there's a certain mentality that it takes, there's a certain even keeledness about it. And the Pelicans still at times operate on the emotional scale, which is way too much for a pro. You know what I mean? Like they operate like a college team at times. We're excited and we're playing really well. Well, there's going to be adversity. So you've got to keep it keep it even. And that's the part where you want to get them to that every day, your baseline is, is a highly competitive one. And then from there you oscillate. But right now the Pelicans baseline is like a little bit below that, just a little bit. But if they were there, we wouldn't be where we are. If we were, if they were there, then we'd be talking about a different team, but this is part of the process. And hopefully it leads to something better. Jamal. Yeah, you would hope. I mean, until this team can string together because that's that's all being a good team is <laughs> right that's the whole thing is stringing together consistent play which typically leads to consistent wins right and you know until they can do that they're not going to reach that level now there's you know next season we'll talk we'll talk about that next season and if they can do that but you're right in these last you know uh, 10 or so games 
they've got first of all the schedule sets up for them to have a really good record down the stretch if they take advantage but you know they the only games that you're really scared of are Chicago and you know the Clippers are, are pretty good but even Golden State that last game might not mean anything home, yeah, and even Memphis, the second-to-last game, right? They're, it's a back-to-back. So, you know, if that's all locked up, those two teams may sit everybody getting ready for the playoffs. So, you you know, there's a you there's no reason you shouldn't be able to get seven wins out of this. Um, and, and that's what I'm going to be looking for. I mean, six and four would be nice still, but and you probably get in to the play-in. But, you know, you'd like to finish better than – better than better than that with this type of schedule and just show that you can actually you know kind of put it together going into uh, the play-in or whatever or what may whatever you may have uh, at the end of the season now i will say this and i do have to make this as my disclaimer and this does not represent the feelings of the rest of the people with the bird calls or the bird rights or any associated properties but again i hate the play-in tournament and it should only kick in if teams are all or you know winning if the eighth team is as 500 or better and the teams in nine and 10 aren't, then there shouldn't be a play in. That's me. I'm not saying that on anybody else. No, no, no. You speak, you speak for me too. I, I hated it. I hated it when they proposed it and I hate it still now. I mean, it's so unnecessary. We don't need extra basketball from bad teams. Like that's just not something anybody asked for. Um, and on, on top of all that, like who, who, and I get it right. 10, 10 fan bases are now, involved in the playoff race instead of uh, just just the eight. So you get a little bit more interest, but I don't think you gain that much out of it. I just felt like they got bored and, you know, a bunch of soccer nerds got them to try to add something like this. I mean, I think it works if the teams are actually legitimately close. If you actually had a situation where everybody, like if eight, nine, and ten were all within two games of each other and you said that kicks it in and they're all over 500, who? But if eight is over 500, nine and 10 are below 500, I think it's, I think that that just waters down. Yeah, it's already I, a playoff where half the league is in the playoffs. Yeah. Just, I, I, I wouldn't hate it as like a tiebreaker type of a thing. That's right. kind of a fun, that's kind of a fun thing. Like if you like have it that. kick in, like say, oh, yeah. are we going to have a play in? Well, it has to kick in. And then that, because yeah. you see teams are still tanking. It didn't stop tanking. <laughs> teams are still actively trying not to win games. We've seen them put out lineups against the Pelicans trying to lose games and the Pelicans <laughs> gave them the games anyway. And they're mad. But that's just me. All right. Let's close with Zion Williamson because the video surfaced today of Zion's between the legs dunk. Jordy Collada teased it earlier in the day, said there was video coming to prove that Zion was ready to play. The video comes out. It's just three seconds. It's a dunk between the legs. I wasn't super impressed by it. You know, it wasn't an awe-inspiring piece of video to me. It was three seconds. It wasn't basketball. It was just a dunk. But your feelings, Fish, I'll let you start. It's better than if he missed it, like at the dunk contest. He wasn't going to show it if he missed it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the second part is he made sure to do it without a shirt on to show everybody that, you know, he's he's in decent to good. You know, dark skin black dudes. I'm straight. saying is they don't know. Show, you can't show up. As, we can't tell. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. he is, but you couldn't tell if he wasn't not the way that <laughs> that wasn't an angle where you're gonna be able to tell if that dude was VP or not. I'm not saying he is. The pictures look like he's slimmer than what we've other pictures we've seen, but that was not the angle. Jamal, Jamal, was that the angle? 
No, no, that that wasn't angry. And it was kind of grainy. That right? was the other thing. I that was, was like, the prudent like, quality. Yeah, it, it almost looked like they had half the lights in the gym off. Like, uh, <laughs> what, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing with this? Like, you, uh, whatever. Like, what is the point? Like, that's my thing. Is what is the point? To show you know that what, you can dunk to who? Yeah, you know what the point is? 441,000 views on Andrew Lopez's tweet. I'm looking at it right now. Cool. That's and the that's point. Fine. That's but the point. I'm just saying in a practical He's releasing the new shoe? In a practical sense. Again, don't nobody give a damn about your shoe if you're on the sideline. And that's not a slam at Zion. It's just the way the world works. If you're not playing, we're not talking about you. And Zion not playing is just the status quo right now. It is what it is. And him showing us that he can dunk, that's fine and dandy. Cool. If you're not playing, if we ain't talking about you playing tomorrow, all this is is showing that you can dunk now. And But that's not playing basketball for 30 minutes a night. Yeah, but the thing is, is that, guess what? Bleacher Report interrupted their coverage of, you know, the Atlanta um, Knicks slap fight. Um, and it's their most engaged tweet. ESPN on Sports mm-hmm. Center. It's their mm-hmm. most engaged tweet. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it is. And it'll that, be that, all over <laughs> first take tomorrow. Zion Williamson. That they'll be showing it on there. Stephen A. will be talking about it. How does this brother look? Does he well, look no, in shape? No, to no, you? Not only that. No, no. The the, the talking points are going to be well. Why why isn't he playing? If he can do that. If he can right. go between the legs, there's going to be suddenly pressure. There's going to be suddenly pressure on the Pelicans, especially the front office, to basically remove the kids' gloves. Right? Forget all these hurdles he's got to jump through, which we know he probably should. But that's suddenly going to be coming into serious question. And to me, the biggest hurdle is the mental hurdle for the team and for him, because I think none. Of, again, when people talk about, and I, I love fans, I do. But when they talk about, well, you know, you have to take into account that Zion hasn't played all the season. That, to me, is also a part of the, what the other players are. You know, most of these guys, the only guys who played significant minutes with Zion on this roster are Brandon Ingram. Josh Hart's gone. So Brandon and Jackson. That's it. Those only two guys who have played significant minutes with Zion. Am I right? Maybe a little Najee. Maybe a little. That's it. That's it. Because so, so Kyra's hurt. <laughs> that's the list. So it's Billy, not like Billy Hernan Gomez. You forgot one. Okay, Billy. <laughs> All right. Yeah, if Zion recognizes Billy. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, these guys don't know what it's like to play with or without him. They only know what it's like to play without him. And I know what you're alluding to, David. There's 10 games left. And if you're serious about the season and wanting to put a good showing in the playing tournament, how do you do that if you're going to tr- suddenly try and incorporate a guy that's not going to be able to play 32, 35 minutes a game, right? It would have to be a burst situation. So I can see the dilemma for the Pelicans, even if Zion would be healthy and get, you know, all check pluses by Aaron Nelson and his staff. Because you've got to change now everything because you've got to recalibrate your offense. You've got to recalibrate your rotation again. You've, it right. changes what the way you utilize Herb Jones. And that is a dramatic thing that people look, you know, for the a fact that even if Zion comes back healthy, his offense will be ahead of his defense and his defense has never been that great. So well, he doesn't if, know the guys, the chemistry, the rotation, right? right? It'd be a, yeah, it'd be a disaster. It's in a my disaster. Mind. I don't know. It's a, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And it's bad for everybody because it can only end in a way that makes somebody look bad no one will win either willie's gonna look bad zion's gonna look bad or griff's gonna look bad 
or the team is going to look bad. It's going to happen because there's just no way you're going to get any more than what you expect. If this team gets into the first round of playoffs, even with Zion, they're not getting out of the first round of the playoffs. If they get to the play-in and they get to the first round without him, then you're still satisfied with that as long as you got ahead of the Lakers and they're in 10th and you get that pick. So the, the goals that you have for this year, you're not playing for a championship. You're playing to have the best season you can possible. And the I think you sidetrack that goal for this season if you make it again, because then, like you said, if you're playing Zion in those bursts, then I have to watch those bursts. I have to watch what he's doing because I have to make sure not only am I aware of the time, but I'm looking to see if there's any fatigue. I'm looking to see if his body's not doing what it's supposed to. I'm making sure that he's doing And now if I'm the coach and I'm these other people, how am I fully engaged with the other 11 people who have invested this whole season with me that I've had to teach these this stuff to and build trust with, and I'm changing that mm-hmm. and upending that for 10 games? You know I, what this is? You, you know what this is, man? This is the part of the NBA season. You, you ever uh, put in your two weeks at a job? This is like the Thursday before you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're done, right? You know how you're supposed to work till Friday, but they're pretty much always on Thursday. Like, you know what? Don't even worry about it. We'll pay you for Friday, but you don't have to, you know, there's nothing for you to do here. That's the part of the NBA season we're in. And it makes no sense for him to come back because he's not helping anybody. The team has to adjust to him. He, he has to adjust to playing again. And as soon as he gets adjusted, the season's over. So, you know, you've had such a long journey just to get to that stupid dunk. Like, just take the rest of the season off. Get yourself together in the, in the offseason and come back and try to, to, to put together something next year. There's no reason, you know, no matter whether he wants to play or, or, or what the situation is, there's no reason whatsoever for him to play this season. Nobody wins, including Zion. So Yeah, and people out there yeah. need to understand, Just it's not like really suddenly time. magically the Pelicans and Willie Green will be able to add 27 points and seven rebounds. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work, work like that. that. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, it does not because you're taking it. All those have to come from somewhere else. Everything has to come from somewhere. There are only so many points you're going to score. The Pelicans would you know, still probably score somewhere between 109, 115 points with Zion on the court, but that means somebody else is giving you less because that means right, fewer I wanna, touches. I want to play. I want to play a little devil's advocate on this. Um, not that you know. I, I agree with where you were going with. You know, you're not getting 27 extra points. Here's my devil devil's advocate on this: is that playing Zion some portion of these next 10 games, and I can't imagine he'd be ready by Thursday. But let's say in two weeks, um, the the next time they come home for that Portland game. They'll have like three regular season games left. And let's say by then he's to a point where they're like, hey, we he can give you 20 minutes. Why not use those 20 minutes now in this season? Because like you said, they're not winning the championship. The, the best case scenario this season is probably you win in the play-in and then First round exit. And, and Phoenix puts you out in five to seven games. Okay, that that's that's the we're all. Did you really there. just say five to seven games? You said seven five games. Se- yeah. Wow. Could be fun. He said that's but, the best case scenario, <laughs> best okay. not case the likeliest. Scenario, right? Okay. The okay. Best. okay. I missed that part. Um, <laughs> so, so, but here's the thing: you get, let's say, you know, so you get three games of Zion, then two play-in games, then you know, five 
on the low side, five playoff games. And you know all of that's going to be with sufficient rest because the playoff schedule is never going to be on top of one another. There's going to be no back-to-backs. You don't have to worry about that. But what you are getting in that situation is the fact we already know the Pelicans have 13 guys under contract even without Jose next year. There's not going to be a lot of roster shuffling, especially if the team is on, on this mindset that we're going to keep Devontae and that's not a problem. It should be a problem. We already covered that. But if this is the team, then why not get over and get on tape, you know, how our best player fits? Because it's not real. It's but, not but real. Thing, yeah, you're not going to see the full real. potential. It's not real. You're not going to see the it's full potential. Real. You're not Zion's gonna, gonna be trying to do shit like honestly. You come back from all that. No, it's not just Zion, working. David. Think about this: every single person oh, around him, yeah, on, on the floor, changed. is gonna suddenly lose touches. Jonas Valanciunas is suddenly gonna get what? Maybe ten shots a game, and and proceed down the list. What about when B.I. and C, uh, C.J. are out there? Yeah, do you start going to point Zion? And you've had C.J. and Brandon, you know, taking care of the ball and, and Jose. Point five system. I mean, come on. It, it, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. You're, you're making you're Willie asking. Green throw out everything that he's accomplished so far this year in my book. And, and it's not going to be thing real is, is because Zion's not about... trying to do something. You're not No, Fish, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. But you you, you still are certainly, it's, as in my mind, playing for what the guys have accomplished. But the thing is, is that here, what I'm saying is, is if it gets to the point, right, where he comes in you know, those last, literally the last three regular season games of the season. By then, the Pelicans are going to know they're in the play-in or not. Right. Looking at the schedule and everything, I'm pretty sure by that point, we're going to know that the Pelicans are going to be the nine because the But Lakers they can't get- throw any of those games away. I would just say they can't throw any of those. Even on an experiment, you can't, because this team is so delicate that if you throw it off that balance just a bit, you could, you but could I would rather. My point is, my point is, I would rather throw off the balance, and maybe they go in and they lose in the play-in, and get start to get over that hump of the thing that is new. I don't think you learn what you new. think you're going to learn, fish. fish. You're not going to no. learn what you think you're going to learn because the circumstances are not the same. The game, the stakes. No, aren't no. Let the me same. say something. I, I, I hear what I hear what Fish is saying, but here's my thing: you you want that evaluation process, but to me you're not going to have a good evaluation Mm-mm. process because everything's going to be super disjointed. Mm-hmm. You don't take samples of small instances of something right at the outset. Usually they are meaningless, and that's what this would be to me. So I, I know what you're saying, Fish, and I think we all want to see everybody that's a fan of this team wants to see Zion and how he fits with these guys. But we're not, like I said, we're, the Pelicans, the front office, the coaching staff, they're not going to get true evaluation because think of all the adjustments that have to be made. Think of all the guys, the chemistry name be established. Just, you know, just simple offense, defense, all this stuff. It's where not going to come together. In, it's in, not going to come together in time to where you actually learn something is what I'm getting at from just inserting him for those. What, what are you, what you're suggesting, right? Four or five games. The biggest thing for me is Zion has to get, it has to be, they have to start in the practice court. That's where the biggest thing is going to be. Yeah, he doesn't even have a practice under and his belt. They need, they need a bunch of practices with him before you even put him on the floor. And I don't think there's enough practice time between now and the end of the season to feel comfortable even putting him in for 20 minutes because I think it becomes, I think everybody, no matter what you've said, the moment he steps on the court, everything changes. 
everything changes. And, and I think that that is a detriment to everyone in, in, in that situation because no one is going to know how to react. And no one is going, and I think even Zion will not know how to react because I don't know where this guy is going to be. I don't know where that guy is going to be. Who do I trust defensively? He's not a great communicator now. Those are things, habits that need to be beat out during practice. And that's why we've seen Jackson come as far along this year. That's why we've seen Jose. These guys have had the reps, and I think Zion needs those reps. And in those that three-game situation with stakes that are murky, then I think it just it becomes a farce for him and for the team. And it's just you're putting him out there because you can not that it serves a purpose. I mean, you know, if you've shut a guy down, you shut him down. That's just, you just shut him down. You don't keep leaving this hanging out the window. You didn't do it. They didn't do it with Embiid. They didn't do it with David Robinson when he missed the full year. You didn't, you don't do it. If your guy's gone, you don't bring him back for the last 10 games. If it had been 20, if he had been here for 20, then yeah, I think you could talk about it at 20. But now you're sub 10. And like you said, it could even be another week or so. If you're at six, five, four, three games, I just don't see where the return is. I'd rather see him spend that time in practice this offseason than worry about a few games at the end of this year. Let this group at least, at the very least for, fa- for your fans, don't mess this up and let it play out as is. Mm-hmm. Allow your fans to go into the offseason feeling like, man, these guys did this, 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 and this. Zion's going to be healthy. I'm still optimistic. If Zion comes back and falls flat on his face, or it just doesn't work, or the team falls flat on it, everything that you built from February to now, all that positive stuff, like you say, you talk about momentum, that stuff can be deflated in a heartbeat. I love Fish, though, taking that stance. I really do, because it does make it's good rational sense to question it. But here's one other question I'm going to throw out to you guys. You've all looked at the video, and we talked about it before we went on, uh, started this podcast. That's not Zion, um, peak Zion we're watching, right? We don't see the same vertical. So to me, he's not even healthy. So it's not really even an argument with so little time remaining, right? April 10th, last regular season game. And he looks like this on video to where he's barely getting, honestly, the ball over that rim to me. He's definitely not getting that same vertical. There's no question you don't play him. Yeah, he didn't look. I mean, yeah. the floor took a beating. You saw that floor took a beating when he put his feet into it. You see some give in that hardwood, yo. Well, it always has. But I'm curious, Fish and Jamal, what do you guys think? No, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm not going to judge too much off of off of a single dunk. But um, you know, it didn't look it didn't look like peak Zion to me. But again, it's one dunk. You know, maybe there was another amazing one. Although if there was, you probably would have sent that one instead. So, <laughs> but that, but but no. I mean, to to even consider it, it is is hilarious, right? Like you got ten games left. Like no, just no. Like it, even if you were fully healthy, uh, I'm not sure. Like because like you said, there's no practice time. There's the whole adjustment aspect, and it just doesn't help anybody. And like you said you don't learn anything like you don't, you can't take anything. So, well, in the last 10 games, we did this. It's no, next season will be a completely different story and probably some different pieces. So uh, no, to even consider it would be ridiculous. Guys, I think we've covered it. Um, You know, again, we will be, uh, wait, Ali, you'll be there. Fish, you will not be there on Saturday, right? No, he'll be there. I'm going to be there. Fish will be there Saturday. All right. So I will be there. Fish will be there. Um, Chris will be there, right? 
Is Chris going to yeah, be there? Chris, has Chris Connor will be uh, there as well. And Ollie, are you guys going to wear? Uh, are you guys going to wear some turtlenecks for us? No, no, I don't. I don't wear no turtlenecks. I don't. Earn, I don't own no turtlenecks. I don't wear no turtlenecks. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I haven't worn another, one in about twenty years. Another home loss. <laughs> 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 oh like, man! But yeah, we will be there on Saturday, the twenty sixth, uh, before the game at the uh, event for to, to talk. Yeah, with so the everybody, media. make sure you get your tickets and come. It's going to be funny. The weather's supposed to be perfect, and that's the biggest thing, David. You talk about wanting to see them win at home. Well, let's see them. You know, fill up at least more than half the arena, right? Full of yeah. fans. I know what paid attendance is, but honestly, the actual attendances. They've been low, so I want to see this week and everybody show up. Yeah, these are these are the these are the critical times. This is it, guys. This is it. Ten games, ten games, and I think let let's throw out a number. Uh, I think Jamal, you said seven and three. You think over the yeah, finals? That's, that, yeah, that's my that's my. I'm going target. with that too. Yeah, fish seven and eight three. And two. Eight and two. Eight fish and calls two. it eight and two. I'm gonna stay at seven and three. I'll stick with seven and three because I, I just. I, I, either by hook or by crook, something just happens. It just does. It's the Pelicans. <laughs> but if they do go seven and three, then they would be thirty-seven and forty-five, right? It'd be thirty-seven yep. and forty-five. It would be a losing season, but it would represent the most wins uh, in, in quite some time. So thirty-seven. It's progress. It's progress, and um, that's been an important thing. I think that's. This has been a legitimate year of progress. There mm-hmm. have been mistakes. I think we would all agree, both from the leader, the, the leadership and from some of the players. But ultimately, I would say if we even if we stopped here, if they if the Pelicans lost the next 10 in a row, if that's what happened and they somehow did that, I would say up to this to I would still say that this season has been progressive. It has moved the needle forward, which is something I, I couldn't have said the last two years. I agree. But they're All not right. gonna lose the next 10 straight. No, they're not. <laughs> I'm not saying they are. I mean, of course, that would just that would that would be disastrous. But um that I guess that would mean Devontae Graham is like getting 40 minutes a night. But um, oh, that's not fair. Uh, uh, on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> what lineup would make him lose 10 in a row? I guess you'd have, you what no, I don't want to do that. That's no, not fair. Let's, no, no, no. That's not no, fair. no, no. We don't want to spit put that out in the in, in, energy out in the universe. Uh, but no, go ahead. Um, yes, come out, support the Pelicans. This this homestand is critical for this team and for those who are members of the 12 and those who just may be active uh, watchers of the flock. Yo, this is the time to come out and, and, and enjoy this team. Um, and I think it, it, they've made it worthwhile. They have made it worthwhile. I'll say that through all the, the stuff they put us through um, as, as media, as fans, whatever, this year – there has been a a sense of this this matters, and I think that's been a big big thing because I didn't say that. I, like, I, again, I don't think any of us would have said that the last three years that if the season mattered, this season feels like it mattered. So let's go through that home stretch, guys. This is your chance for the last word, Jamal. You got any last words? Um, no, just uh, give me a Shirley Temple and hit the bed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Enjoy your Shirley Temple. Have a broiled oyster on me. 
Ollie, any last <laughs> words for you, sir? Just on a more serious note, you know, three tornadoes touched down in yes. New Orleans area. So hearts, I mean, my, my, all our prayers and thoughts go out to everybody affected because the early reports do not look good. For instance, no. Araby, there's houses that I'm watching on TV got flattened. So I'm yeah. praying, you know, no fatalities. Absolutely. Man. I'm going to let Ollie have that last word then because I, I, I was thinking while I was watching the news that hopefully the Pelicans are going to do something with this um, homestand in terms of donations or something like that. Yeah, let's let's find a way, hopefully, the organization, if not them, if somebody, maybe if we figure out something, I don't know, if, if we need to do set up a, a, a bird rights GoFundMe or something to help folks out or whatever, um, you know, we'll see what happens over the next few days. But yeah, you know, New Orleans, Louisiana, over the last couple of years in general, this state has been hit hard by storms, by natural disasters of all kind, kinds. And uh, man, we just, it's, it's, I know people keep talking about the resiliency, but you don't want to always have to be so damn resilient. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> can we go a few months where we ain't got to be resilient? Please, please. Can we just go through a few months and just be cool, please? But if you are um, safe tonight, be thankful. And if you know somebody who needs help, um, reach out, man, find somebody, you know, don't, man, you know, people just look for resources, communicate with people. Somebody can point you in the right direction um, and get some help. And, and hopefully we get back to normal sooner rather than later. Uh, but for the guys, I'm David Grubb. And in the words of our friend, Preston Ellis, who will one day rejoin us. Let's go. Pal. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today look around you can find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader